Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash... You're listening to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and co-host Tobias Wright. We are live on 89.3 FM WNUR, Evanston, Chicago. All right, now you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. What's your opinion on what we're talking about tonight? Call us, 847-866-9687. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. All right, this week, Oliver goes inside the huddle with bass baritone Douglas Williams. His physically dynamic performances have led him to collaborations with Mark Morris, Shasa Waltz, and Barbara Hannigan, among others. And you're going to be surprised to find out what was the turning point in Douglas's career. But first, the O17 Festival opens at Opera Philadelphia later this week. And it's not just any old opera festival. We're going to tell you why. Plus, you get all your opera headlines and my hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. we got a great show for you guys tonight. So good to be back in the studio, by the way, as well. Oliver Camacho, you glad to be back? I am, but I have to correct a pronunciation on something because I was corrected on it earlier, and I okay. might as well pass along the pretentiousness. Um, it's Zasha Baltz. Well, Zasha. I, I said Zasha. I yeah, totally Zasha Baltz it. has to have more of oh, that. Oh, Zasha Baltz. Thank you very much. That's exactly it. So Tobias, right? You got it right. Thank you. I'm here. George, it's good to see you. It's Oliver, good to see you, buddy. Do you all notice on our Facebook page how I cropped? Toby into our group picture. <laughs> I did, it's, and I don't like it. It sort of looks like you're in the picture, but if you just look at it carefully, you'll see like <laughs> where the line breaks and like where you're slightly bigger than everybody else in the picture. It's funny, it's it's funny you say that, actually. We need to take a new photo, I think, after the show tonight. Yeah, for, we definitely um, have lost some people. For the, um, hey, Tobias, you must be thrilled that the Chiefs beat the Patriots they, this week. Uh, dude, that was pretty wonderful. Are you feeling really good about... I, you know... You're, it was kind of cool because everybody, it's the Patriots, and like, screw the Patriots, right? Well, of course. What are the words that I can't say on the they, radio? The I Patriots forgot. are the Yankees of football. Yeah. Everybody hates them except for Patriots fans. Like, I, there's no, like, love around them. I have a couple friends who really like the Patriots because they're like, I like witnessing history. And I guess I kind of get that, but also, they're the cheaters. Yeah. Yeah, well, they are cheaters. Uh, Chiefs win, Bears lose. You watched the Bears game? No, I saw the highlights. They're pretty awful, George. They're not that awful. They went toe to toe with the awful. NFC champions. And they Sean had Glennon. It's Mike Glennon, by well, the way. Well, there you go. That's what you need to know. They uh, went um, four and out from inside the ten to t- uh, win that game. Excuse me, in the closing seconds, and couldn't do it. Uh, what's your over under? Are they going to win more than five games? Uh, more than five. Uh. Can I can I do at five? What's that called? You pick push. the number. Push. That's push. I'll do push. 
All right, cool. Five games. Push. All right. Uh, five games, five bucks. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Shake? Yeah. We shake. He's shaking. Shake. Got it. Oh, yes, U.S. Open. Yeah, it, it got really boring for the finals, um, but everything up to the semifinals was really cool, and Roger Federer and Venus Williams are two of my all-time favorite Spoiler alert, they didn't make it to the end, but nope. um, I love I love watching them <laughs> it's so not a much. Spoiler, dude. It's well, like it already Here's the thing, like sometimes I go away for a week in July, right when Wimbledon <laughs> is wrapping up, and I put those last matches on my DVR and I do not turn on the internet for that whole week. Do you know how difficult <laughs> it is to do that though these days? Um yeah, to and try then and like, stay in a bubble. I try. I try really hard, and I don't look. I mean, if I even see like a tennis racket on my my computer screen, I turn off. My, I throw my computer across the room, and I hit it with the hammer. <laughs> so I don't know because I really enjoy watching those last matches. Uh, but yeah, Venus Williams made it to the semis, and uh, Roger Federer made it to the semis. I want to say, and they were so great. It was a really great tournament. It was so. the first women's final with uh, the... two Americans, but neither of which was the uh, Venus was... Williams sister since 1990. Yeah, actually, the semifinals had four Americans in it, so it was a great yeah. year for American women. I mean, let's be real; it's always a great year for American women. <laughs> let's talk. Some Am I right? <laughs> Chalk talk on Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist here on WNUR 89.3 FM. It's so great to be back live in the studio. Hey, if you're listening through our web feed, wnur.org slash pop-up, you may likely be listening in HD now. We have HD receivers. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about. First segment tonight, the 017 Festival. Seven operatic happenings staged over the course of 12 days in six venues across the city. This unprecedented civic experiment transforms Philadelphia into an urban stage where diverse audiences gather to share and experience and amplify human connectedness. This festival is is unusual. And Tobias or Oliver, do you want to give your take on why this is so unique? Well, I think to start any opera season, which is already a very expensive endeavor, with what is it, seven different events happening basically simultaneously. Five different operas. Basically simultaneously. Yeah, over the course of like a little bit less than a fortnight, you know? That is a whole year's worth of programming crammed into 12 days. Yeah. That's expenses as expensive as F. Uh, courageous that they're going to get people to Philadelphia in September. Everybody's like starting school and like, I mean, this is really something for like the true diehard, I will travel for opera types and for Philadelphians. And I think they're the winners here because yeah. uh, I, I doubt this is a type of festival that, that has the potential to attract like those giant like people who go see like Santa Fe Festival or something like that, you know, because that's like a destination thing. But who wants to go to well, Philadelphia? I, I think it seems to me like they're trying to become a destination. Um, yeah, not clearly. But I mean, the programming, the the operas that they've chosen for this festival, do not appeal to the same constituent. You know, like they have like Sandra Radvanovsky, Radvanovsky giving a recital. Yes, there's a whole thousands of people that want to see that. They have the German. Uh, Deutsche Komische uh, Opera version of Magic Flute. I want to go see that thing. Right, me too. So I would travel to see that. Yeah. But but then there's like this sort of pseudo hip hop R and B jazz spoken word yeah thing, which is not my music. 
I would probably go see because I was there, you know. It's directed I, by Bill T. Jones, choreographer, director, dramaturg, general genius. It yeah. seems kind of incredible. Also on the bill is the new Kevin Putz, Mark Campbell opera, Elizabeth Cree. That's coming to Chicago. So we don't have to say that. So you wouldn't wouldn't (laughs) see that anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah, But then they have this sort of Baroque-ish double bill um, that takes uh, Monteverdi's semi-opera, like short thing, the Combattimento di Tancredi Clorinda, and pairs it with a new piece by, I can't remember his name, uh, this is he German? I don't know. He's like some, Lemnitz Beecher, I believe. Yes, he's European composer. Yeah, uh, and uh, he uses a similar type of ensemble that you would need for um, the Monteverdi as the accompaniment for this chamber thing. Toby, the, what is your highlight of this festival? Like we didn't finish you... talking about what else is on this festival. Okay. There's, one, there's one more piece. Okay, Marriage of Figaro on the mall. No. no. Is it? No. Yeah. War Stories, The Wake World. Oh, oh The, the Wake World. The Wake yeah. World. Opera yeah. Philadelphia. The Woke. That's like the movie State Get Out, right? Yeah. Woke. I don't know. Did you say Woke? Yeah. Uh, for me, though, George, it's going to be we, n- we Shall Not Be Moved. Um, and I think for it's because it's topical. Um, it's not necessarily topical. Can you hear me? Uh, it's, I don't know. I think it, it brings up race in america and i for me that's something that's going on right now and a lot of opera what we do is we ignore race in america um and specifically i mean like we've talked about this many many times before it, race in opera is one of those things that gets just largely ignored and we act like it's not a not at all important true um and so for this i think and i'm looking right now at their schedule it's sold out every show already so even if i wanted to go see it i couldn't go see it um it's sold out yeah, every show. Oh, good for them. All right, why are we even talking about? It? We don't. They don't need our marketing help. They well, don't need our not. marketing help. Well, but we're talking about the topic, you yeah. know. Um, and, and the Wilma Theater. I mean, it's a smaller venue, I think, than some than the Pearlman Theater. Okay, so that's one of the other things. One of the other aspects of the O Seventeen Festival that I'm really a fan of is yeah. that it's all over the city. And so, if you are going there, as uh, as Oliver pointed out, like if you're one of those people who goes to Santa Fe or who goes to uh, Glimmerglass or like Wolf right. Trap or like you know, yeah, yeah, and and that's you're looking for a festival to attend. What I think is cool about this is this doesn't put you in a singular spot in the city. So it and it is the city's invested in it, the opera company's invested in it, and they get to showcase different parts of what are beautiful about uh, both opera, the venues. And the city. So if you're going there as a tourist, which I think is one of the uh, hopes of the company, you're going to see everything. Um, and that's huge for the economy. So because when you, what did it say, 30,000 tickets were available for this entire festival and they've already sold almost half of that. It sold extremely well. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Oliver, what is your show that you would really want to see in well, this lineup? I, I have to say, like, after just saying that who is the constituent that would go to all of these things. I'm going to debunk that and, and, and contradict myself by saying that I want to see the magic flute. I want to see the Monteverdi thing. I don't want to see the thing it's paired with, but I will suffer through it because I'm already there. <laughs> and I want to see... <laughs> That's faint praise. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, like it looks interesting, but it's not something I would ever choose on its own. Right. And then I want to see... And it's staged in the Philadelphia Museum of Arts medieval cloister. There you go. I like the cloisters. Um, except... Uh, Cloisters are like where nuns were, right? Or like monks? Yes. Oh. Uh, well, maybe. It wouldn't crimp your style. Yeah. Like <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Don't worry. There's just not a lot of sanitation. I, um, I understand. And then I want to see this uh, Sandra Radwanowski recital because 
I think it'd be super. I don't know exactly what hall they've chosen for that, but to hear this like gargantuan so we're all gonna, voice. Are we all going to ignore the Elizabeth Cree because we're going to have the opportunity to see it in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I I want to see that piece. I will see that piece at COT uh, in the new year. I don't need to go to Philadelphia to see it. For a split second, I was considering going to this festival. Really? Again, General Manager David Devan, who has been leading the charge, putting this whole thing together, total genius to come up with this idea with his team i was looking at the schedule to see like how much could i see in how few days and i think if you do some double headers with matinees and evenings you can see basically everything in in three days okay uh, I and, would but what see- about like you have to schedule in a massage and you got to find all the restaurants you want to go to? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, Philadelphia is not a city I like that oh, much, okay. particularly. So I'd like to just kind of stay inside and just. But when you travel opera. to different cities, don't you want to check out all their masseurs? What? <laughs> <laughs> First thing I do when I go to a new city, like look up. Yeah. I, I literally. Ta- I think your microphone is acting funny, so you have to like directly. No. You got to talk right into the mic. Baby. No, but his his mic is actually being a jerk. I, I literally so. don't know what you're talking about with this uh, <laughs> massage. It, the, the, the festival, there is no precedent, as far as I know, in this country for a way to see so many different operas and so many diverse operas in such a short space of time. To me, that is what is so unique about this. I'm trying to think of a European example as well, actually. in Provence? X, yes, but is X so few days? Mm, no, it's spread over a much larger amount of time. Yeah, the Edinburgh Festival is many more days as well. I wonder if is this going to be a one shot deal or is this going to is there going to be oh eighteen or is nah, it going to be like the Olympics this is where it's like be, two years? This is how opera companies are going to survive. This is what they're going to start having to do. The companies that aren't the Met, that aren't the Lyric, mm. although the budget for this is pretty, it's substantial. What eight, eight to ten million? So it's not a small budget. That it has to be more than that. I'm sure just to get the nah, magic flute there is gonna be like a couple million. So No, I, I really don't think it's much more than that. I think it's like eight to ten million. It's in that range. Which is incredible that they're gonna do it. But also you look at the the venues, um, and a couple of these are chamber pieces, so you're cutting out orchestras, et cetera, and saving money that way. Right. No, but I think what you said earlier is that they really need the kind of synergy, I hate that word, with all those other presenting venues yeah, uh, and they have to get the city on board. And like, if it's successful, I hope that it's successful. Uh, Cause if it is, then it could be a model It could yeah. be for. Yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of my hope is that when in reading one of the articles, um, I don't know if we're posting them on the website or whatever, but in reading one of the articles, um, it talked about how, you know, this has been advertised widely across right. the city. Right. Um, and it does seem like a huge collaboration. And I think if this is a way, if it is, if this is a new viable way to present the product, then I think other people should follow. Rather than cutting seasons, if you can have a season as creative and as daring as this, that is presented in a way, in such a way that promotes people, that, that makes people want to come be a part of it, um, I think that that could be a new trend that I would love to see. That's exactly, and here's the fine point of this discussion: is that a place like Fort Worth does a spring season. Other opera companies, St. Louis, will compact everything they're doing into one season. But the type of work that they're programming is not as diverse as this seven-show roster. That is what Opera Philadelphia has really captured with this true range of uh, 
the period that the pieces have been composed in, the venues that they're being performed in, the scale, whether it's uh, the um, Radvanovsky recital up to something like Magic Flute, which is a big, epic production. So, hey, I wish I could go. Yeah, everybody, I know that we always say we're going to post on the website, but some people are listening in their cars. So when you get to your computer, uh, go to operafilla.org to check out the festival. And they actually have... uh, spool together uh, a YouTube playlist. It's like 13 videos long. So set aside. It's a, little, it's a little long. It's kind of a long playlist, but I mean, it gives you some uh, information about each piece and some of them are like little one minute commercials and some of them are like longer interviews with the creative team, that type of thing. They have like a little webisode series called An Opera Walks Into a Bar or something like that and they do like, <laughs> it's true. They like do like little discussions in front of a glass of wine with the composer and oh i have seen those actually those those actually are not bad i mean like isolated that's fine but they can't be like 12 minutes when opera philadelphia did breaking the waves last year which was again a huge success i've talked about la opera i talk about la opera being the company that's doing everything right in this country opera philadelphia is right up there with them doing everything right in terms of pushing this art form forward. Hey, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if you're there at Opera Box Score on Twitter. One of our listeners has already been posting on Facebook like in real time about this. So maybe we'll read some of his comments. Am uh, I am I wrong in wasn't it Opera Philadelphia that before all of this happened, it was like two years ago or so that they had they reached out to their patrons for a vote? Um, or like really took into consideration what their patrons, what their fans oh, wanted man. to hear. Am I making that what, up? What, what were they? I think I have about? a brochure sitting at home yeah. somewhere that I kept. We have that. the speed of the internet, but I I don't think I do that the search interwebs. quick enough. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> hey, after the break, Oliver goes inside the huddle with bass baritone Douglas Williams. Stick around for this deeply personal interview, and it's only on Opera Box Score and WNUR eighty nine point three. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. George Cedarquist here on WNUR 89.3 FM. This is Opera Box Score back live in studio after a couple weeks off. After an up and down, in and out summer. It's great to be back with Oliver Camacho. Hi. And with Tobias Wright. When his mic is working. Uh, it's never going to work. Working? Is it working? Is yeah, it working? Yes, so you're cutting in and out. We're, I we're hate everything, George. It. it was a busy week last week for singers in Chicago. If you were in town, which was funny because it was still technically summer. So much going on. Oliver, with all those people in town, why did you end up selecting bass baritone Douglas Williams for this interview? 
Well, he's the only one that I had like one degree of separation from. <laughs> I was able to ask. Hey! But, yeah. No, but it's true. Like it last... didn't have to do anything with how handsome he was. Mm. Last week was insane with the Collaborative Arts Festival and the Ryan Opera Center final editions and the Millennium Park concerts um, of lyric opera in the park. There was so many, so much singing happening here. But um, Douglas Williams is a singer who I first heard probably like in 2007 at the Boston Early Music Festival. Um, in the festival opera Cichet and in the late night concert presented by a group called Tragic Comedia. And I remember just like seeing this guy for the first time and saying, oh my God, he is handsome as F and he's a really good singer and he's like got mad coloratura and this is like somebody I want to like follow. And so I go to the Boston Festival every two years, as you know, and like I'm watching this guy's career develop. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. And when I found out he was coming to Chicago, I arranged this interview and I was really not good at it. I have to tell you, like I had this pre-interview planned where I was going to ask him about like his career and about his Don't training. Sell yourself short, buddy. No, no, seriously. Like, cause I, I mean, based on what I have seen him do these days, he's become a very physical performer. Like he's great on stage. He's like super dynamic and he's a great singer. He's like stylish, he's got a beautiful voice, yada, 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 you know? And so I was trying to get him to talk about his training and, you know, what things he specifically did to learn how to be on stage that way and end up working with choreographers like Mark Morris and Zasha Valtz. And he's going to be part of this interesting project of The Rake's Progress with Barbara Hannigan. Barbara Hannigan's like directing or producing a young cast of people that she, she's identified as like that type of singer, like she is, like that does crazy stuff that can just, you know, be on stage and be goofy and, you know, and sing well and be, you know, accurate. Um so, yeah, he's having a great career. It's, like, on the rise. And uh, I thought I was going to ask him these things, and we talked for, like, an hour. And it was, like, it became very personal. So we're going to listen to the last 20 minutes of the interview because the first 40 minutes, as it turns out, you can go to his website and find out all about his CV. And this is stuff that you won't see on his website. Yeah, I always felt like um, the the training of the actor part of the singer actor was conspicuously absent from my training in conservatories i mean you think about it like it's our job to stand up on stage to deliver text although we do it through our bodies our voices but you know we're we're essentially we're dealing with words just like actors we're dealing with uh, uh tapping into our emotional worlds just like actors so i wanted to develop that more and because I, I knew there was something there's there was more for me to experience so I did this a month-long intensive at Shakespeare and Company which is a actor acting and a, a theater company uh, a school in western Massachusetts in Lenox same town as Tanglewood mm-hmm. so I was there for this monastic month uh, this was now like eight years ago in the middle of the winter You've rarely even left the campus, worked six days a week from eight in the morning till 10 at night. Wait, were you a student at this time or was it just like you were already like... I was to... already done with school, but okay. I and I came up with the money and the time to, to do this. I, okay. I, I had had a little introduction to how they trained and I thought this is going to be important for me. So I did it. And it was really about asking these very important questions about what does it mean to stand on stage 
and to speak your truth, to take off these masks we wear every day just to survive and to, to be yourself on stage. That is this the language that they use about masks? Because you've said it already. Like, is that something that you heard as part of this training that we are aware Yes, of? I think so. Yeah. They also do this kind of voice training called Linklater, which okay. is a, a school of acting voice training, which re- relates a lot to singing training. It's about um, that, that sound has its own special emotive quality, abstract of actual words. Absolutely, it does. And so that was really fascinating. And it's all about also free, about releasing the voice to be able to let emotion come through the body and out into the world. So were there a lot of tears in this workshop? A lot of tears. (laughs) A lot of tears. It was really one of the most creatively powerful periods in my life. I I had moments there when I, I felt like I could shape shift i i could be anything i could reach out into the universe with magic powers (laughs) so i left there i mean i left there thinking like wow that was incredible like how what do i do with that information now but you're talking about something that seems very personal here and you're talking about you know you've said it already twice now like about this mask thing about yeah. uncovering yourself and it sounds and it's it sounds like training that I might have witnessed or might have been a part of where you have to make yourself really open and yeah. you have to like figure out like where you're holding and yeah. what emotional box you might be dealing with you know and and that's actually like those are i think the essential questions of uh of western classical singing which is using where you're using your entire body yeah and you're using all of these resonators and you're Letting the voice flow with breath. Removing things that yeah. are on it that yes. you, maybe you think needs to be there for beauty or for technique. but Exactly. Just all like all, all away, of these you know? ideas yeah. of uh, artifice or, and then the or, acting, or, or, the or acting control. At the Shakespeare thing is also doing that for the actor or for the Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So for me, that was, a, that was like a huge turn, turning point. It just because I, I sensed that there was more in me to be explored both as a person but also vocally i was like there's there's more here so i need to find someone to uh, help me continue that journey but that's so that was that doing that acting course was like a I, it was like having a premonition okay the the journey is really just beginning i don't want to sound like a cultish follower <laughs> but it i i i think Singers would definitely benefit from just a, even a little bit of that type of training about about thinking about this art form in in those kind of raw terms of what does it mean to speak my truth through my voice. It sounds like in the training with whoever else was in this class with you that you had like this maybe intimate experience with these other people. Mm-hmm. And there's like there come a point in something like that where you're all like maybe too emotional or like too open, and like the instructors say, "Okay, this is great, but you can't use any of this on stage. Like this is like this is a place that you can go, like in a safe environment, but the audience never wants to see this. This is like yeah, this is raw and like you know ugly, you know." Yeah, they're well, I, they never said that because it wasn't like we were aiming for like 
I mean, there was a final like scene performance, but they really tried to take out any idea of like, you've got to be, you know, this is a, this has to fit into, this is a real performance and people are going to see this. It was not about that. It was really just about like, go as far as you want, hmm. even, even in the final performance. Really? And, but it was really about just the, the essential having the, having these tools so that yeah, you have to know how far you can go exactly. So yeah, kind of, with er, with every word. Yeah, and so you're saying that this teacher <clears throat> in New York, I forgot his name already, Neil Neil Seymour, related to that training. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but but the bigger correlation I would say to what I've done with Neil was like I had certain ideas about myself, uh, which um, everyone has ideas about their self, which are formed in childhood, adolescence, whatever, interwoven with fears about yourself, fears about the world. And if you want to grow as a singer, you can do all of the exercises. But I really think you'll progress faster if you do the emotional work also. to Because, because you... Sometimes you come up against a, a wall when you're working on something technically. You think, like, why, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Why can't I get my voice to do this? And the answer, you might at first have to ask yourself a question about something else that's going on. Because if you're, if you're, if you're not ready to grow emotionally or spiritually you're not going to be able to grow your voice or let your voice release uh, in, a, in a technical way. I totally understand what you're saying, and this interview has taken a turn that I no ex- did not expect at all. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there that you know we're talking about like therapy, we're talking about releasing, we're talking about yeah. the self, you know? Yeah. And I came prepared for this interview wanting to know about like your fitness routine and like did you do... Committed to Larte training. Did you do mm. all these things that, you know, would give a performer skills that you exhibit on yeah. stage? Like real skills. Yeah. I'm not like, just saying like you're just like some guy, oh, he's a clown. Like he can like horse around. No. Like I understand like, Did I learn doing. to juggle? Yeah, no, yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. Like, yeah, no. But it sounds like your breakthroughs, yeah. singular, had more to do with understanding yourself and finding like some authenticity, you know? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, that's a hard thing to give advice to people. Like you know, who are, it is because it's also like freaking terrifying yeah. to like, uh, and that is still like the most um, consuming thing. It's also because I think like singers, uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself, mm-hmm. and it almost feels like too much sometimes. And that's probably why a lot of people think singers are self-centered. But you have to reflect a lot on yourself to uh, to make this growth. You know, I'm not trying to, like, uh, sell myself here, but yeah. when I listen to recordings of myself from when I was a master's student at Yale, it's absolutely f- fine. It's lovely. It's very elegant. Mm-hmm. The elegance always came easy to me, actually. Mm-hmm. But this body connection, this uh, bass fundamental in my sound that was not there 
And because you weren't going deep enough. Exactly. But also, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine that part of myself in my singing because of all kinds of concepts about myself and fears about myself that I needed someone to point me in that direction to say, what's going on there? You know, what, what's, what's holding me back from exploring that? It's all to say that like singing is, your voice is such a essential part of how you put yourself into the world. And so it's really laced into, um, all kinds of pictures you have about yourself. And so you need to do the work to erase these pictures to get down to what's really naturally there to find your free, true voice. I was doing this monologue at Shakespeare and Company, Oh, What a Rogue and Peasant Slave Am I, from Act Two of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And she put her hand on my chest, and I could feel how closed my heart was. I mean, I could really feel this like emotional closure being expressed physically in my chest. And it was from that moment, I, I knew, like, wow, I've got a lot of work to do. That was like nine years ago or something, eight years ago. And that became, became like a whole journey, like, like starting to understand that and investigate that. And that led to me coming out. But with that were all kinds of confused, twisted ideas about like, what does it mean to be a man? And, uh, Obviously, when when you're a bass baritone, you have to sound like a man. But then there's all kinds of connotations about sexuality and masculinity, and you know expectations layered on top of that about who who you're supposed to be. So that that's like a whole another thing to uh, cope with. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it really is hilarious to me because having been in the audience for a lot of what you've done at least in Boston and just looking at you and listening to you sing would never think that that was something that like you had to think about or deal with or that you judged in yourself because like I've only ever heard like such elegant but masculine and intellectual, thoughtful, mm. uh, and now really visceral performances, you know? I remember hearing you sing, actually one of these 
Tragicomedia concerts. Um, I think it was a person, all personal night. Mm. And um, maybe you had just sung in the chamber opera and you had to like make a late entrance. Like you had to change costumes. Like you like, kind of came on stage like after everybody else did. And it was like really strange. Like, who is this guy? Like, you know, but then you just came out and you were like super like well-dressed and like just looking like ridiculously handsome <laughs> and you delivered whatever it was. Maybe it was the night sequence or something like that. You know, I was like, man, that guy can just walk into a room and like suck out all the air of the room with his singing. Like just, and you, you know, <laughs> like you really, you take up a lot of oxygen, like your presence, you know? <laughs> and to think that you're having to like, I don't want to say struggle with this, but like, contemplate this and like deal with this mm. when I think your audience really feels that you are so powerful, you know, and so in control, yeah. you know? Well, I think by the time you walk on stage, you have to be absolutely committed to what you're about to do. Mm -hmm. But certainly all of that preparation before this whole like revelation and this opening in my life, I was not really that hooked up to my body in my singing, but I wasn't hooked up to my body in, real life either. I mean, I had the wrong idea about my sexuality. I had never stepped into a gym before. And I would say, uh, uh, going, going to a gym. Yeah. You want to look good, but it's also, I think uh, about feeling strong and feeling healthy, feeling power in your body. You know, even if I just want to lift this a teacup up here, but knowing, knowing that there is, is power behind every action. So the elegance and the intellect in the intellect part of singing, the part of me that's interested in words and language that came easy. That was always there. And that's why I was for a long time parked in early music and sacred music, which I still love, but I, couldn't imagine that there was more. In fact, when I started working with that teacher around that time, my teacher, he said, and, and I, we, you know, we were working on these Mozart arias, just an abstract. I just said, I, is this really for me? You know, is this, I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't I, identify with that even with that, that sound of the great singers doing, uh, of of Turfle and CFB yeah. doing uh, Figaro you know, doing Figaro, and he said to me, "There will come a day when you will laugh at that." And I just put that idea in the back of my head. And after my audition with Edo Devart, and then a few days later, got invited to go to Milwaukee to do my first Figaro. I. I wrote that to, to my teacher and I said, <laughs> I am laughing now. And that's what's so incredible about this career as a singer, this opportunity to grow as a human. And I think if you were, you know, you, you could, you know, anyone could do that. But if you want to be successful as a singer, you have to do that. There's no way around it. If I was sitting at a job, a desk job, or, you know, there, there's a million career choices in the universe, and they're all very fine careers, <laughs> but you don't have to do the investigating. So sometimes I think I could have gone my whole life and not learned this about myself or, or just left those things, left those stones unturned and, or just kept pushing it away. Like, ah, oh, I'll get to deal with that later. 
later in my life. But here, as a singer, you have to figure out who you are and what you have to offer to the world, whether it be the, the most immense, godlike, powerful, most masculine, body-rooted sound, or the most vulnerable, intimate, breathy sigh. Um, it's all there. I mean, the entire... Uh, we contain multitudes. <laughs> we contain multitudes, absolutely. I was not open to the multitudes yeah. until until this time in my life about eight years ago when... I, all of it cracked wide open. Yeah, thanks to a few teachers pointing me in the right direction. Awesome, because I think maybe... Had you not done that, you probably would still have a career and I probably would still be listening to you sing and maybe not fully connecting with what you were doing, but still really enjoying the guy that was on stage looking oh, really that's... good. And <laughs> that's and like, nice of you to say. Yeah, and singing clean coloratura, you know. Yeah, no, no. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to do it, you yeah. know, but I think uh, as a singer, you, you really have the chance to explore all that there is inside well Douglas Williams uh, thank you very much for this extended uh, interview and for going there with us and I hope that uh, you enjoyed doing this <laughs> yeah I did enjoy it okay great <laughs> I will see you later on tonight great Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. George Cedarquist here on WNUR 89.3 FM. It's Opera Box Score in your ear holes. I'm hanging out with Oliver Camacho. So before we go to the next segment, I just wanted to say, like, I know that was like a really long wind up. And I even finished talking, but we're running out of time. Um, but, you know, I've been doing whatever these interviews with this show and the last show I was on for a while. And I think that, you know, I I need to get better at it. First of all, I need to like not... Uh, project what I want people to say onto them and try to get them to answer questions I think they should be answering. I should just let them talk because this was to me the most personal interview I've ever achieved with somebody. And in a way, I'm maybe scared of that because I'm such a fan of Douglas Williams' uh, hmm. artistry that maybe I don't want to know that much about him. But I hope for those of you who have listened to his singing or who will discover him soon that you remember that he is that open of a person and that he is trying to connect to that part of himself that like 
you know, authenticity, you know, on stage, which I don't think that opera singers achieve all the time. And that's what I think creates an extra barrier for people to enjoy what we do is that they don't know themselves enough. They can't be real on stage, you know? Tobias Wright, what's your call? Well, I I think that a lot of different artists become artists in different ways, but I actually really loved what he had to say. And he said, you know, he talked a lot about having to figure out who he was and what he had to say to the world. And once he could figure out that and break down that barrier, that allowed him to go become the artist. And he also talked about the fact that I wrote down what he said. Um, If you're not willing to grow mentally or spiritually, you won't be able to release your voice. I could not agree more. And I think that sometimes as a singer, I mean, it's such a mental game. The physical part is... I mean, you have to have a technique and you have to be able to produce a sound. But, you know, listening to somebody else talk about something, you know, that I personally as a performer, I know that I've had difficulty with was fantastic to hear because I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm not crazy. Um, It's difficult to be free when you're on a stage um, and to not self-edit. And so it was really fascinating to hear someone who's experiencing success currently. And I was just looking at his website and he's got tons of awesome stuff coming up. But to hear him talk about having to really figure out what he was offering and why, what he had to say. And I thought man, that was what, fantastic. What a voice. I, it reminded me what a uh, bass fetish I have. Wait. <laughs> oh. Oliver. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so are you going to now try to, are, are you, is this what every interview is going to turn into? Only if I can like interview really good looking guys like him. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Oliver, a ton for that interview. Yeah, that's and great. thanks to Douglas Williams. Time for the two minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week, delivered in two minutes tops. The Ryan Center, the professional artist development program at Lyric Opera of Chicago, has announced that soprano Emily Pogorelch, mezzo-soprano Kaylee Decker, tenor Eric Ferring, Baritones Christopher Kenny and Ricardo Jose Rivera and bass baritone David Weigel have been accepted into the 2018-2019 ensemble. Last week, Houston Grand Opera Managing Director Perrin Leach and Music Director Patrick Summers wrote that, quote, we most unfortunately report that our beloved Wortham Theater Center is more damaged than previously thought. Houston Grand Opera will proceed with the first two operas, Traviata and Julius Caesar, in the fall. They're working on new locations for those after... Hurricane Harvey. The lobby of a Silicon Valley tech company is not where you would expect to hear a soprano belting out a Puccini aria, but that's what happened at the first performance of Arias in the Office, a pop-up series at Adobe's San Jose headquarters at the beginning of August. This was an initiative by Opera San Jose aiming to introduce people to the very concept of opera as something that can be fun and enjoyable. Perish the thought. Hey, overseas, congratulations to the prize winners of the 2017 Wigmore Hall Cone Foundation International Song Competition, which took place last week. First prize went to a New Zealander, but the second, third, and finalist prizes were all American. The Royal Opera House is to offer main floor tickets for most of its popular productions for as little as 10 pounds, rather than the usual 230 pounds. Why? Because you're not actually going to get a seat. Instead, you make yourself comfortable on the floor. Oliver Mears, the new artistic director at Covent Garden, is reviving a tradition from the proms concerts where stall seating is removed, leaving a space for audience members. Over to the disabled list, bass baritone Gerald Finley was due to open the Wigmore Hall season last week. He was rushed to the hospital with appendicitis. Conductor Yannick Nezeseguin has pulled out of Vienna's run of Zalame last week. An exit stage right 
Nancy Knowles, who recently died at 86, she left $10 million in her will to the Lyric Opera of Chicago, the company's largest individual gift in 63 years. And on this day in 1951, the premiere of The Rake's Progress by Igor Stravinsky, that was in Venice. That's the two-minute drill. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, and Oliver the Man Camacho. Oh, he's the man, all right. That's some sexy music there. I keep trying to not swear on the show today. What do you want to say, baby? Wait, wait, so s- let's just sexy br- now considered swearing? Yeah. <laughs> I asked you earlier, George, what words am I not allowed to say? Well, obviously I can't say them now. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just break. Let's break the two-minute drill down into its three parts, and if we get to the uh, disable list and exit stage right list. That'll be great. But let's break that down. The first two parts. Let's say results of competitions and uh, initiatives for young audiences. Go okay. for it. Results of competitions. Uh, congratulations to the winner from New Zealand, uh, Julian Van Melliarts, 29-year-old baritone. Uh, first prize uh, in the Wigmore Hall Cone Foundation International Song Competition. And the other three finalists were uh, baritone John Brancy, uh, bass baritone, or maybe bass Josh Quinn, who's actually actually a friend of the show. I should probably know that better. He used to be a tenor. Uh, And mezzo-soprano Clara Ozowski. Ozowski? Hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, You know, I have to say, one of the reasons why I hate Slipped Disc is because he has, like, the worst clickbait headlines. And the headline that Norman, you know his name, for this particular article or this particular announcement was a Kiwi beats off three Yanks at Wigmore Hall. <laughs> yeah, that's Norman Lebrecht. That's why we don't read Norman Lebrecht. That's not clickbait. But that's that's Norman Lebrecht for you. Okay. But All right. Congratulations to you, Wigmore people. Um, now, going on to the Lyric Opera, Ryan Opera Center finals, the press release came out today, but we scooped it, or I should say I scooped it. <laughs> the uh, OBS strikes again. <laughs> yes. On uh, Saturday, because I went to the last like fourth of that day. It was a day of singing. Like it started like at noon and it was, I don't know, maybe like 20 finalists and they each had to sing two arias. Then they took a break and deliberated while Janai Bridges got up and sang a little mini recital. And then they like had the announcement was like star search or like, did you vote? I did vote. So the, like, do you what, care to share? Well, the audience favorite <laughs> award went to somebody that I voted for baritone. Oh, I should have written this down. Uh, Ricardo Jose Riveras from San Juan, Puerto Rico. One of the guys that got into the thing. Yeah, he got in. They actually, they took two baritones this year, Christopher Kenny and Ricardo Jose Rivera. Uh, he started off with the, um, uh, what is this thing? Uh, uh, oh, my God. I you, didn't get to hear any, you didn't get to hear any of the no, tenors. I was you there. didn't hear this young Eric Faring guy? No, because... I got there just in time for baritones. While you're doing that, I'll give a shout-out to David Weigel, who's a bass baritone that I met. Uh, when I did the Marilla program. He's phenomenal. He's got the biggest heart, and I could not be more thrilled for him that he made the cut and made it into the program at the Ryan Center. Okay, so Ricardo Jose Rivera started off with the death scene of uh, Rodrigo from Don Carlo. Long scene. and then the that, ju- is, that is a long scene. And then the judges were really cruel and made him sing Largo Factotum. Why? So It's a party trick, Aria. I know, but it's like hard to sing it like like after you've already sung for like twelve minutes, you know, mm-hmm. with all those high G's and stuff. And he did it, and the audience loved him, and I loved Good. him. So Good I him. I voted for his 
winning the $500 bonus prize. Was it weird favorite. to be voting? I was getting emails from Lyric. We were just voting for this. audience favor. We I, weren't voting for, for who gets thing. into Yeah. I just thought that was strange. Well, I thought just keep them engaged, make them stay. Uh, but yeah. the press release also has like a little hidden announcement about who is not returning next year. And uh, there are some uh, young artists who have already done their full like three-year stint there. Okay. But there may be somebody on the list who's not returning uh, who has not completed three years and is not going to re- be returning next I've been, year. So. I've been in those shoes, man. Yeah. I've been in those shoes where like you were offered to go back another year to a program and you're like, yeah. you know what, I'm done. So they make some, so these, people re- they make some of these people re-audition. I noticed that actually yeah. in, the, in what you had posted that yeah. some of them were actually re-auditioning. And I thought... Yeah. Yeah. How nerve-wracking is that? Yeah, that's terrifying. I mean, you're, you're hey, you have a job, but we're going to make you... Okay. Uh, You'll be dancing for your life. Okay, so the two uh, audience engagement initiatives, uh, Oliver Mears's uh, See the Opera for Free, but you have to stand. It's like JetBlue. Nah, like, man, you're going to sit. You're going to sit on he a picnic blanket. He said they're even going to give picnic <laughs> yeah. blankets. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, the point there is that see like top-quality art uh, but be uncomfortable while you're watching it. I think not a bad idea. You know, it's like genius. Yeah. It's absolutely genius because you are so close. Who cares if you're uncomfortable? That if you're 20, you don't care. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fun, exciting thing. And like everyone else who is sitting in a seat is a going to be jealous or b they're going to be jazzed because it's so new and different. What a genius thing to do! So I have really tight hip flexors, so I can't sit on the floor. But when I was in my 20s, I would have been happy to stand for four hours to watch an opera. I mean, I waited tables my whole life. I could stand for 12 hours. Not yeah, a big deal to yeah, me, you know. Yeah. You just need the good shoes. So the other initiative is this. Uh, Silicon Valley office building where people are like popping up and like singing arias. I'm not a fan of this type of thing. Dude, I'm not a fan of this either. I think this is well documented for me on the show. I think pop-up opera is the most annoying thing. I think pop-up, I think flash mobs. I'm like, no, no, no. Get out of here. You might get a little social media buzz, but the people there are, are, I don't think it's going to convert them. It's going to say, oh, I heard a Puccini aria uh, at work today, and now I'm going to go buy a subscription to whatever lyric opera. Because it's so out of context. Yeah. That's the thing. It makes no sense. And it has to be done beautifully. I mean, like, you really have to sing so well, and you cannot predict the acoustics. I'm sure the accompaniment isn't, like, ideal, you know? So if if you are doing the yeah. art, you know, subpar, it's not good for anybody. It's not. Let's think uh, of But, hey, Ray, really quick, Papa. I just want to shout out to my friend Trevor Neal, who was one of my roommates uh, earlier this spring, who was featured in this article. Ooh, about sorry about that, Trevor. Oh, we just slammed him. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, dude. no. I, I think he probably felt very similarly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but a contract is a contract. We're going to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Pop up opera needs to explode. Pop down. Yeah. Pop, <laughs> yeah. pop down. Pipe down. Go away. Yeah. Ugh. Nice to be back in the studio, by the way. Yes, it's exciting. Opera box score on WNUR. Good calls, bad calls. What's been good this past week? What's been bad this past week? I- I'm going to go first and get my bad call out of the way. And I only just found this out, actually. Um, is that the... Obie Award-winning composer for the piece Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, if you know that musical. Uh, He's also a lyricist. Michael Friedman died earlier this week at the age of 41 due to HIV-AIDS-related complications. He had also done musicals on Broadway and in New York, The Unknown Soldier, Pretty Filthy, Fortress of Solitude, Love's Labor's Lost. I crossed paths with him actually at Northwestern, when I was the assistant director on a new musical he wrote the music for called In the Bubble. 
he was so bright, so smart, and a truly talented composer. I mean, he was our generation's uh, Jonathan Kent, who wrote Rent and then died too young. He's going to be missed. Uh, I have a good call. My good call, as I always do when I return to the show, is that it's good to be back with you guys. It's good to be in the studio. It's mm. good to be back on the show and um, to get to talk about something that we all love and share a few minutes together. So um, the big seasons are about to start soon. So we have like one more week before we can talk about those things. But in the meantime, uh, check out Music of the Brokes opening concert here in Chicago, which is Elijah with a very operatic cast of Eric Owens in the role of Elijah, Susanna Phillips, Elizabeth Shong, and William Burden, uh, presented by Music of the Broke this weekend in Chicago. We're coming up to our third season. It's going to start end of this month. Uh, and I think next week we'll probably be able to start to preview some of the fall shows in Chicago yeah, and our elsewhere, picks. right? Yeah. Our picks and our projections. So definitely stick around for that. But for this week, that's it for our edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. Somebody was live commenting, Oliver said. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Hey, do us a favor. Just leave a review. Help increase the audience base for our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as we gear up for the beginning of the new opera season. We're going to catch you next week. Cheers.